I'm excited about preaching on the armor because we get to start right there. The armor is the righteousness of God that's ours by faith. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a part of a series we've been doing on spiritual warfare, going through Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. We're praying this is useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. The scripture reading from this morning is from Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 20. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by the way of the eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the causing powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know when this question hits you. I don't know what moment in your life has or arouses or somehow brings these kinds of questions. Maybe it's in the dark of night. It happens when it happens to me. Maybe it's um, after a particular crisis, something, some, maybe a crisis of your conscience, especially. Some memory floats in unbidden, and then all of a sudden you're there, you remember. And you ask yourself a question. I think everybody asks this question of themselves, even if they don't realize it. And that is, am I a good person? Uh, it was, I, I mean, I, I, this is one of those questions. I, 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 I wonder if you ask it that way. Maybe, maybe an optimist says, am I a good person? Maybe a pessimist asks, am I a bad person? Or maybe it's switched. I'm not sure. But this is one of those haunting questions. That you, how do you answer? And I can imagine some of you saying, I've never really asked myself that question. I, I want to call you out on that. I'm going to call you out on that. Because... Uh, I, just the other day, uh, I, was, I had a weird uh, chance occurrence. It was in the Castro. And uh, uh, somebody finding out I was a preacher, and immediately they wanted to talk to me about dogma, he said. I love dogma. I want to talk about dogma. He said he hated dogma or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> he was talking about his go, go get charged, go, go get a, go a whole life, and, and, um, and, I, and about how you need to get all you can. And, but he's interested in talking about God. Okay, okay, that's fine. Didn't answer my email, so we'll see. But, but he said, 
uh, I, I said, well, what about, I remember this moment, I, I just said, what about compassion? Because he was so angry and so, and I said, what about compassion? And he said an explicative about compassion. In fact, his employee who was carrying some things in the back barked out a laugh when I said that. Just laughed out loud. Ha! As if this guy ever knew anything about compassion. And then he said something really, really interesting. He goes, you know, I came up off the streets. When I, my parents left me when I was a 10. And he went on to describe about a bunch of challenges, a bunch of tough things that happened from a young age. He got no breaks. He didn't have, he didn't, he worked hard. He owns a shop in the Castro. He has put himself on his own two feet. It was really funny. I remember like, okay, maybe he'll call me. I hoped for a conversation with this man, but what was funny, what hit me as I walked out was, he mocked compassion, but then he expected me to have compassion on him because of his story. You see what his story was? What was his story? I'm not a bad person. He's answering the question. He, he's defending himself. He's, he's saying, yeah, I don't believe in compassion because I had a rough break in life. Don't you understand that about me? You see how immediately he's forced, these questions are forced upon us all the time, whether we like it or not. Forced by guilt, by, by some question about our legitimacy, our authenticity, our hypocrisy. Are you a good person? <laughs> Am I a good person? Is there such a thing as good people? <laughs> That's a whole other question. I'd say, no, there isn't. I think the Bible says that. You're going to hear me talk about this when it comes to communion. If you, about a good person, whether you're a good person or a bad person, means everything when you pick this piece of cracker up in that wine. It means everything. Your answer to that. Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? We're in the midst of a, of a, of a series on spiritual conflict. Because I don't think that's a question that Adele asks herself in the reach of the night only. I think it's a question that the, the demonic asks us. I think it's part of a demonic conversation that will haunt you, Yali, till you die. Are you really, are you a good person? Are you a good Christian even? Aren't you a hypocrite? I've met a lot of you. Aren't you grace abusers? A people who find out about God's love and forgiveness and then go, whoopee, I can do as I please. <laughs> so what I want to do today, I want to dive into the demonic strategies that require us to put on armor, especially something called the breastplate of righteousness. It is something that, a breastplate, uh, you've probably seen pictures of Roman soldiers, but they were clever and, and doesn't take much experience and more to discover that any, any, any puncture, any wound in my trunk is fatal. It's just not, I won't survive. And so that's the part that gets armored, all the important bits. They, they can't suffer even the slightest cut open and you've got to protect this. And uh, sometimes it's been fancied that, that we know at this point in, in this text as we're coming to Ephesians 6 that Paul has actually been in prison. And he doubtless had guards. <laughs> and he was doubtless carried from place to place accompanied by guards. And you can almost hear him looking, you can almost hear his reflections as he looks at their suit, at their shoes, at their helmet, at their shields, at their, and realize, well, here's a picture of the Christian life. I must tell people about this. And so he uses this image of Roman armor as a tool, as, a, as, a, as an instrument, a pedagogical tool by which to put in front of you, Alice, what it looks like to chase God. Who put in front of you, Corey, what it looks like to pursue holiness. What it looks like to be engaged in spiritual conflict and what to do in it. That's we're kind of putting this together. And I, I've, been, I've been a little bit... A little bit frustrated by some of it, just because I find myself talking a lot about the devil. I don't particularly like talking about the devil or about demons. But we looked at this last week, and this is, if you want a copy of this, it'll be available 
uh, for, to you. We'll make it available to you. But, but uh, these notes. But what we did was we took a look at demonic strategies. And we looked at last what the ground rules are. What can the demonic actually do? These were the ground rules. Then we looked at the fiery arrows that come flying into your heart, into your life, and into our lives. And the cruel shots and the false graces with short-term goals, immediate goals, which they accomplish of either doubts, cynicism, and isolation. And then with the goal of what? What is the demonic goal? All the time. To shut you down to stop your praying, to destroy your hope, to despair you, to get you to despair, to get you to stop. Just freeze. Just stop. Just stop acting. Now, as we're kind of unpacking this, here are the cruel shots, and here's the fiery arrows flying. Now, imagine this. So, so are you a good person, Johnny? Now, I shouldn't ask you that. It's too easy. I know you're not. <laughs> are you a good person, Corey? That might be too easy. <laughs> Maybe it's an easy crowd that way. <laughs> but, but there's this picture. Of, so, so you have the problem, are you a good person? And the cruel shots come from the evil. Remember this, lies, fears, and threats. You'll never be holy. G- give it up. You, why are you trying so hard? Don't you, you're never going to get there. Give up. It, it's, it's just rest. Stop it. Your efforts mean nothing. I mean, in the end, wasn't it all, doesn't that preacher always talk about it's all God? It doesn't that mean in the end, you are just a, uh, uh, along for the ride? Oh, haven't you heard God punish his hypocrites? Doesn't he? Why, why do you go to church? What, what are you hoping for? Now, these are real demonic attacks. I, these are the kind of things that come into your consciousness, that come into your, uh, come into your mind as ideas, as thoughts about whether you're good or not. The cruel shots are lies, fears, and threats thrown at you. But what about the false graces? Oh, I know what you need. You maybe, maybe in the end, when you answer that question, am I a good person? What's your, one of the things you'll say? Well, you know what? I'm going to promise to do better. I'm going to resolve earnestly. I swear it. Now, that's exactly what Christ said comes from the devil, right? When we begin to swear, resolve, and say, I'm going I'm to tap in to my inner reserves, and I'm going I'm to grab holiness. That's just the sort of thing that really is man-centered holiness and a false grace. And then, of course, there's the comparison game, the false graces. You're not as big as a hypocrite as Chris. That's my gift to you. That's my gift to you all, right? It is my gift to you all the time. You can say it all the time. And guess what? It means nothing. It means nothing. I'm only a bigger hypocrite because I put the name pastor, or God put it in front of my name. You put it in front of yours, you'd be just as bad. Or the false graces, finally, is, is the lies that come out of a theology that's articulated as some sort of hope, but it's really damnation. Once saved, always saved. And the false graces are easy believism. <sighs> and all these lies. What's the point of all these lies? It creates a sinful response. The short-term goals will be doubts. Doubts about yourself. Doubts about your world. Doubts about the call. Doubts about this church. Doubts about the word. Doubts about your holiness. Doubts about your ability. Doubts about your desires. Doubts about whether you're a hetero. Doubts about whether you're a homo. Who knows? It's weird. You get in the world of doubts and you doubt everything. Click, 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 click. Oh, it's awful. Cynicism, the great Christian sin that is not confronted in the church. Cynicism is a sin. Cynic comes from the word dog. That's where it comes from. Don't be a dog in the kingdom. Isolation. These fiery arrows, what do they do? As the promise to do better fails, as your hypocrisy looms, as you figure once saved, always saves, what difference does it make? And your efforts mean nothing. You listen, you listen, and what do you do? You stop going to church. You check out. You don't call those Christians anymore because you're embarrassed. Have you ever had this happen? I know this happens a lot of time in church. You don't go to church one week. And then you don't go to church the next week. And then the third time, you're like, man, somebody's going to mention how many weeks I've missed. I don't want to go this week. I don't have a good excuse, but I am going on vacation next week. And so I'll go in two weeks so that when I get there, I can say, oh, I've been on vacation. I'll have something in hand as an excuse. And then 
five weeks go by <laughs> and you're waffling because you feel kind of crappy about your, your church attendance. You know, what, what is going, what is, what do you, what is happening? What's the short-term goal? Isolation. What's the long-term goal? You won't do anything anymore. You will finally shut up. Satan wants you to shut up. He wants you to stop talking to God. Stop! It's what he's doing. So all this is, I want to earnestly implore you. Satan has goals in all this, and they are very, very obvious. He wants to shut us down and shut us up. Immorality then, might as well sin. Might as well grab that, grab whatever is in front of you. Might as well grab a little joy. Might as well drink some more, get high again. Depression, and then finally death. Freeze! This is the demonic endgame. What are we going to do in this battle? So I've been thinking about this. What I want to do is, I want to take you through my journey of understanding uh, sanctification, justification, and mortification. The shuns. Now, the reason I'm doing this is I realize some of you are newborn babies in Jesus. <laughs> some of you have been walking with Jesus nearly as long as I have. I don't know. Maybe some of you longer. But I've been a Christian for, let's see, what's going on, 45 years. Anybody beat me on that? <laughs> all right. There you go. All right. That's the way to go. Woo! That's awesome. All right. All right. So, uh, I want to bring you into, something, into, into this text next, because this text is going to build the foundation for justification, mortification, and sanctification. Those shun words. We'll explain them. Don't get nervous. I know some of you, English is a second language. I'm going to take the time to define those terms. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. But I want to go to Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 2, because I find in it the wonders, the wonders of God. I'm telling you, they're right here. All right. There's an, it, uh, Zechariah has a vision. We don't know what visions were like. Ezekiel says God grabbed him by the head. Imagine somebody going to grab you by the head and show him. It's weird. It's ineffable. It's not describable because it doesn't really happen to us. But he sees something. God would make them see things. That was the essence of being a prophet. And he sees it. I don't know what it's like. Maybe, maybe he had a fit. Maybe he started twisting. I don't know what it looked like when Zechariah had his vision. But this is what he saw. So what does he see? He sees the high priest standing before the angel of the I am. There's a picture here. The high priest standing before the angel. There are angels in the tabernacle. It's almost a picture of a high priest before the Ark of the Covenant, doing the, doing the, doing the yearly prayer, the yearly prayer for the, uh, for the people. Every year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, a place so holy, if Corey were to glimpse at it, he'd be dead. A man reached out to stop it as it fell over one time, and he died. This is the holiest place on earth, right? There are angels on the top of that ark. But Joshua the high priest is standing, but he's before the angel of the I am. And there's somebody next to him standing at his right hand. Now, to stand at the right hand is to be the person of power. It's, and so he is, in a sense, Joshua's power. He is what would be Joshua's right hand is how he acts. But how can Joshua act? Because who's at his right hand? If his right hand was going, to be, was going to go and be powerful, what's the problem? His right hand is what? What's happening to Joshua the high priest? His right hand is accusing him. Accusing him. This is not Dr. Strange love, guys. Uh, that's a joke only for a few people, but all right. There's, Satan is standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now, for sake of argument, let's just go to the, what we had to say. You're not a good person. I know what you do. Other people don't know. You're a hypocrite. I have seen you. I know the idols of your heart. God doesn't please or please with you. Do you want me to keep going? What are yours? I know how lazy you are. I know who you truly are. I, what are your whispers? I don't know what they are, but they're there, aren't they? And what does the I am? Who is the I am? It is God, the King. It is Jesus, Jesus' favorite name for himself in John. I am the bread of life. I am, I am the door. I am, I am. The I am said to say what? Is that's a little bit weird. Okay. Uh, Sid, 
Chris wants to talk to you right now. That's weird, what I just did right there, right? I don't address Sid and then talk about myself in the third person. Remember, we looked at this before. I can't be subject and object, but God can be. God is greater than categories, greater than creation, greater than the cosmos, greater than the universe. And so what else, what other power will the I am even turn to but himself? You get this? He is, and he's teaching, this is a teaching moment for, Za- for Joshua, for Zacharias, he's writing it, for Joshua the high priest as he's experiencing it, and for you today as you hear it, that Ephesians 6.10 makes sense. Be strong in what? In the Lord and in his mighty power. This passage is utter nonsense on the face of it. The eternal God refers to himself in the third person as the agency by which he can defeat evil power. No, it's an invitation for you to understand that what God does, you should do all the more. (laughs) If God would say, I will challenge evil power in my own name, then what are you supposed to do? Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord. And, what is, and the breastplate of righteousness is where we cash in on that power. In fact, I think it's the, it's the true rebuke of the devil. It's your justification by faith. Praise him. This is the glory of the Lord for you. This is our rescue and our hope. This is his presence made available to us. Oh, praise him. This is, this is everything. We're looking at the breastplate of God's righteousness, which is by faith. I want to look look today on how we can put it on. The put it on, the sense of this armor is resting in your routine. You put it on identity in your justification. You're also told in the verb to take it up. This is a sense of the armor having immediate protection, an action plan called mortification. And keep alert, ongoing watchfulness, we saw later in the text. And verse, uh, I forget what verse is, a responsibility of yours, sanctification, justification, mortification, sanctification. So every week I get up here and I talk about the armor, that this armor is the righteousness of God that's ours by faith. The armor is the righteousness of God that's ours by faith. Now, some of you would say, Chris, I've never heard you say that. How can you say you say it every week? I'll tell you how. Because every week I tell you, and every week I I get up here, well, actually, let me back up for a second. I've been doing the spiritual warfare series, and I I have a concern. And that's the concern is I've seen people come and go already, visit. And this is not a a message that's usually for people who are not believers. Because if you're not a believer, you're going to sit there the whole time going... Yeah, you know, you probably the best way you could link to demons and the devil is to say they live in the subconscious of humanity or something. Like, you're not going to think that they're real. You're going to think the things I'm saying are psychological somehow. And I thought about it. It really bugs me. It really bugs me because you know, as well as I do, every one of you here has ever heard me knows that what I want to do is call you to put your faith in Jesus. I want to call, call people who don't know him to know him. Well, that's why I'm excited about preaching on the armor, because we get to start right there. The armor is the righteousness of God that's ours by faith. You first learn to put on what's yours in Jesus, and this is your justification. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means at the moment at which Christ dies as he bleeds, his blood becomes a covering, a forgiveness, a coating, a cleansing of this man right here, because this man put his faith, and this woman, because she put her faith in him, and this woman, and this man, and this woman, and that's what what we're talking about. This is saving faith, where you are justified. What this means is the utter removal of your guilt. Jesus forgives everything you have done. It, it means so much thing. I, I love this picture, even for us as we, as we work on it, as we think about it. Our first, I, I realized that put up a sign. It's really for, for, for Christians. First to non-believers, I want to, I want to hover over this for a second. If you don't know God and if you have no living knowledge of him, then Satan is your king. Oh gosh, I can't believe I just said that out loud. But I don't know what else to say. I, 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 if I said anything else, I'd be a liar. Ah, but what I am inviting you into is armor. 
something that protects you and, I mean, removes. How often and how many times has your record and your memory been used against you in your life? Because you don't know God and all you can do is go through life trying to figure out how you could either do more to be better and balance it all out. Or maybe you could stay high enough to forget. Or maybe, who knows? But you've got, those are your choices. And now one of the things I love about this is, is I'm calling you to put your faith in Jesus. And what that means is you put on your justification. Jesus forgives for his everything you've done. Some of you are going to say to me, well, there's that sin against the Holy Spirit, Chris. You got to, I don't know if you're really, and I, and I would say to that, uh, take your smarty pants somewhere else. That's not what this is about because the sin against the Holy Spirit is not a threat. It's not a, something that, that, uh, that uh, you need to worry about because if you're worried about it, the Holy Spirit's in you. So it's not going to worry about that right now. I'm inviting you to put your faith in Christ so that you can be, so you can take on this glorious clean cleanliness and, and purity that he has for you in his blood, in his sacrifice. Put up a sign, no fishing by your memories. Believers, how do you put on the armor of God? Every day, I mean, routinely, put it on. There's something over your life in the past. Even for believers, this is true. And God has said it, and it really is true. I removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? <laughs> They're forever removed. Forever retreating from one another. <laughs> Don't know fishing there. You're forgiven. If your mind has a tendency to continue to call to mind errors of the past, it may not even be you. It may be demonic. Demons are great record keepers, tremendously good record keepers. I know I'm, I have a terrible memory about what I ate for breakfast, but I, it's surprising how much clarity I have about my sins from last week. It's almost as if somebody else were reminding me. What's the next thing in your justification? You can add nothing to it and take nothing from it. Praise him. What does this mean? It is a righteousness that comes by faith when you simply make that commitment. When you, when you trust yourself to Christ, when you put your faith in him, you're armored. <laughs> this is beautiful. You are armored and encased. You can add nothing to it. If you could, it would be worth nothing because what you would add would just cheapen it. You cannot buy that which is eternally beautiful and glorious. You can't buy a sunset, can you? God made that. Well, he made this and he made it in the blood of his son and you could add nothing to it. Praise him. All of your guilt is transferred forever to Jesus. And this is the question, if you heard me, I asked this question this week from you, Dennis. Why should I let you into my heaven? I want you to picture, this is the ultimate question. This is when God says, Johnny, are you a good person? Every one of us is going to have to answer that from the Lord himself. Are you a good person? Why should I let you into my heaven? Now, this is not a feel-good answer. This isn't a, this is, the answer to that question isn't a values question. The answer to that question is a mathematical, like a mathematical question. Like two plus two equals four is that Jesus, that, that means that Jesus plus Johnny means transformation, forgiveness, eternity. Praise him. Praise him with highest praise. What are you doing there? Praise him in your own heart. Look, to learn, we must learn what this means. I was asking some people recently, what is the joy of the I am is your strength? So that's from Nehemiah. I, I, did I ask you that? I think I asked you that because I was kind of existentially, you know, I, you know, I get this existential, like, uh, what is the joy of the Lord? I was, I was doing some kind of, some sort of self-reflective nonsense. You've seen me do that, haven't you? Yeah. And, we, and so I was kind of like whining. We actually, we actually sang this earlier, didn't we? We sang it in the song, the joy of the Lord is my, what does it mean? Well, go to the passage. You know, what, you know what happens in the passage? All the law is read. All the law is read. And the people hearing God's holiness, they're scared. They begin to wail. Oh no, we're lost. If God wants purity, we don't have it. If God wants us to worship him, we don't do it. If God wants us to be faithful to our wives, we're not that. What are we going to do? They really they freak out. And then Ezra tells them, 
No, God has love for you. He tells them the joy of the Lord, the joy of your salvation is your strength. <sighs> what is, Christ repeats this in a different way, doesn't he? The disciples come back happy because they all have big churches, happy because their ministries are on fire, happy because they can preach and demons listen. But what does he tell them? Stop rejoicing over that, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. What does that mean? Your joy, Lord, is your strength. Go back to the strength that you have and that God loves you so deeply and richly and fully and eternally and completely, and he has washed it all. He has washed my sins away. uh, What what does Pilgrim say? He sees the cross and the character John Bunyan, and he looks at it, and he gives his life to Jesus, and 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 he had a burden. He always had this pack on something always weighing him down, and he said his burden rolled away. And it rolls into a hole, <laughs> by the way. It's kind of funny. And disappears forever. The joy of the I am is your strength. <sighs> so this means a couple things. Um, young Christians, you get this. And I remember as I was a young believer, you do get that. When you first apprehend that you were really given that, it's good. it gives you a lot of joy. It's a surge of powerful relief and, and, and joy and praising. But it doesn't last. It doesn't last. Uh, and many Christians who have known with the Lord for a long time, there's an old, there's an old hymn you'll remember. It says, it says uh, I love to tell the story for those who know it best are hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Have you ever had that hunger? I want to hear it the way that person, that new believer, I want to have it the way that new believer has it. I want to have, you can have that. Nehemiah teaches you how. Go and work your confession. Go read, go read Deuteronomy if you want a good butt kicking. It will cause you to repent because it opposes your idolatries. There is a route to getting back into joy, and that is looking into the wonders of God's law and his truth and his morality and his purity, his holiness, which is so unutterably beautiful and eternal. Oh, and you, you will learn this means. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But all right, so something happens. And Satan, who before told you that God would never accept you because of your sin, you've gotten past that. But now the words of the enemy are craftier. And they start revolving around your hypocrisies. If you experience spiritual dissonance, Sidwin, do you experience spiritual dissonance? What I mean by that is a, a, a dissonance, a crisis, a tension, a, an antagonism between the very things you really want and the things you wind up doing. You do, don't you? I know you do because you have a living principle of Christ in you. And every one of you has this. The scriptures describe it very beautifully in Romans 7. They mean for you to understand it but you begin to discover your hypocrisy and it hurts. It's almost like a weak spot in your armor. Spiritual dissonance starts to confuse and frighten you. The removal of guilt is good, but you keep sinning and failing. Have you ever, has anybody here ever given their life to Christ more than once? This used to be, some people have done that. Some people would struggle with this. Every time somebody says, will you give your life to Jesus today? They run up to do it because they keep enacting over and over again a desire to feel clean again. Let me feel clean again. Let me feel that that cleansing. I want that. You have that. You don't need to go to Christ again. But there's something else that happens, and it leads to your mortification. And that Christ's great removal of guilt and sin, coming to Christ first meant a great removal of guilt and sin, sorry. Staying in Christ now means adding all of his good acts, words, and life, and acting on this principle to put sin to death. The way Christ himself was put to death. This comes out of uh, Romans 8, verse 13. I didn't put the references there. I'm sorry. Colossians 3. Put the, there's this earnestness. You're supposed to act. You're supposed to act. This armor has a proactive way of taking it up. And then what I want to teach you is this to learn to take up these mortifications, to put to death, to use this beauty that Corey is not only clean. That was a lot, right? But he's also super, super, super righteous. He's the most righteous man I've ever met at the same time. 
How do I know that? Because when I meet him, I meet Jesus. Jesus is in him. Jesus has super added to him. <laughs> Everything that he needs has an abundance of, of holiness sits in this man, sits in this woman, sits in me. How? It's the one of the wonders. It's the other side. Not only was your slate clean, you got a new slate. <laughs> it's a whole new deal. You, a new, you have been transfused with eternal life and power and godliness and hope by which you can now do what? Well, put sin to death. Put those in your heart. Put those voices to death. Kill them. Resist the devil and he flee from you. This is the way out again and again that God is offering you. Coming to Christ first meant the removal. Now we can act on this principle to kill sin. It's whack-a-mole living sometimes. And look, everybody played whack-a-mole? Yeah, we've all played it, right? Chuck E. Cheese, whatever. It was the only redemptive game at the <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. And I think sometimes I enjoyed it so much because I was so angry that I was at Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> that I would bang those moles so hard. Amen. Amen. That's what you need to do with every eruption of sin and guilt and shame. Beat it down. Put it to death. Put to death even the guilt and shame that seeks to drive you away from Christ. Put it all to death. Because not only are you clean, you're new. You're transformed. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It's right here in front of you. This is that beautiful, to take up what's yours. It gives you power to put sin to death. I want you to catch this. Did you guys notice that? I want you to catch how important this is. Did you guys notice? Oh, that's the wrong way. Did you all probably notice that I included um, these first, these first, look at this, children, fathers, bond servants, masters. I put that stuff in there uh, not for, for a very specific reason. Look where the instructions about spiritual battle happen. They happen right in the ordinary course of living. Look, look right in, in Ephesians 5, before this. In Ephesians 5, it's all about marriage. It's all about husbands and wives. Then it gets to 6.1 here. Then Paul does this in different letters. He goes to the, he goes to the marriage, and then he goes to the kids. Luke, obey your mom and dad. All right. Okay, good, good. We covered that. Stop exasperating your son. Okay, we got to that one. Bond servants. All right. Stephanie, obey Chris without, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. She, she works for me. Uh, Chris, do the same to her and stop your threatening. Now this, but, <laughs> it's not my threatening. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, That's ordinary life, guys. That's ordinary living. And the fact that Paul puts spiritual conflict right next to rules for ordinary living should be a clue to you. This is ordinary living. Mortification of sin by the principle of divine life in you is a part of the battle, ordinary, day in, day out. You're going to get up and talk to your boss tomorrow. You better get up and put on the armor of God then, <laughs> because it's that ordinary. It's that regular. It's that functional. It's that immediate. It's that applicable. You routine. You're routining. You're routining into eternal life here. You see how he arranges the material. It's meant to give you life and preach life to you so you know how true this is. All right, let's go through all this outline. All right. Accusations are now, well, now what are accusations of the evil one doing? They're now about preventing prayer, hope, and evangelism which is exactly where this text goes. Paul begins to say, pray for me that I may preach the word of God boldly as I should. Why? What does demonic warfare try to do? Silence people who talk about Jesus. He also says, go and pray. What does demonic attack try to do? Stop people praying. Stop people praying. Stop people hoping, speaking. So finally though, then learn to keep alert of what is yours in Jesus, your sanctification, ongoingly. Now, I'm telling you a story about myself, guys. When I was eight, I knew that I wanted to be a preacher. We had just become Christians. 
Uh, you know how we were saved out of idolatry and drug use and, and, uh, and out of uh, prostitution, my family, everything, right? And I was rescued out of all that. Praise God. It was amazing. All right. So, but one thing I noticed, you know, I'm walking with God and I'm a teenager and I want to be accepted at school. So during the week, I'm as dirty as anybody else or dirtier. Dirty sense of humor gets you a lot of acceptance at school. It does. It really does. People think it's funny. I've got a sharp mouth. I got a good memory for remembering stupid things that make people laugh. And you, you, begin to, you begin to realize your hypocrisy hurts. And then you go on to a long period in your life battling that hypocrisy and what it means, you know, and then trying to learn how to stand in your righteousness in Christ and then feeling battled down again and then learning again what it means to be completely forgiven and then learning again what it means to have all his righteousness and learning again what it means to be in the battle at all. You know, like all these things are growing and you're understanding, but I want to take you to another place and to a deeper place that you will go someday. Maybe you'll get there quickly or not. But you see, when I've walked with the Lord for this long, I'm really tired. There's a despair that creeps into you, isn't there, Gina? Despair that whispers to you at night, right? What is the point? You've really failed a lot for a long time, Chris. And it haunts you because there's, even as you're in your crisis from sin, when you answer that question, am I a good person? There's some little part of you that is just terrified of that question. Because in the end, you know, even when I got up to preach, every time you did a good thing, there was some part of you going, you paying attention, God? Are you paying attention to how good I am? Or there's some other little part of you that had to tell somebody what you did. Somebody had to know what you did. Why? And you begin to learn a lesson. Um, David Frost was interviewing Billy Graham. Billy Graham's one of my heroes. David Frost was one of the great interviewers of history. Interviewing Billy, went back and forth. Billy, how would you, how would you describe your life? I'll never forget these words. I was in my 20s, and I was beginning to really experience failure in ministry in my heart, and this is what he said as I was watching the interview. Well, well, uh, I'm a failure. One of the most successful men in history, I mean, just in terms of numbers alone. And he reckoned himself a failure at the end of his life, having walked and given everything to Christ. And he was saying, I know him. And we know what happens is you walk with the Lord, you become increasingly painfully, and the evil one uses this against you, Scott. You know he does, because as your awareness gets bigger, as your awareness gets huge, and you realize that every good thing you've done has been stained by selfish conceit and ambition haunting you and hunting you, you're like, gosh, Chris, you're getting really excited about this because I hate this that much. This is, this is the jail my heart would live in without Jesus. <laughs> and so it would never get out. Ever. A deep despair begins to threaten you. And that's when you begin to turn to Jesus and you understand Matthew 3.15. Jesus is spotless. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternally good. Jesus never sinned. He is the eternal, faultless Son of God. And he appeared before John the Baptist, an unrighteous man, and said, wash me. That's what baptism is. Wash me, John. And what did John say? No. No way. I'm, I am so much lower than you. I don't deserve to touch your shoes. Please, please, please. No, Jesus said. This must be done to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? So you come to a point where your despair deepens to a, a level that feels like it's going to capsize you. And God meets you right there with a love that's so total. You see, Jesus even repented for you. <laughs> I couldn't even repent, right, guys? My repentance is a sham. Do you get that? It's a sham. I know that. So is yours. 
He is all my righteousness. And what I begin to do is I begin to seek to deposit more in him and seek for him to deposit more in me of a life that will, that will be emptied and love, emptied of my selfishness and filled of love for you, for the works he prepared in advance for me to do. And I'm done with trying to figure it all out, guys. I don't, I don't have a nifty answer about how to live the Christian life. And anybody tells you they do is probably a liar and selling you something. It is all of Jesus. I ask you to come and give all your life to Jesus. Go, go more deeply into Jesus. Get, risk more in your faith with Christ. Go deeper. Because in the moment of your deepest despair, he will meet you with his deepest, kindest loves. Statements of love. Um, I was, uh, you'd be strong in the Lord in the strength of his mighty power, right? This is your just, this is your sanctification I'm describing here. The ongoing work in which you work ever more deeply and Christ's work is ever more present. It's weird. It's a weird moment. It's a weird frisson. It's a weird juncture. It's a weird place. And it feels like it would be really dark, but it isn't. <laughs> and it feels like it'd be really lonely, but it isn't. Christ is there and he's there in all this joy. I, so I, I was listening to a, I, I don't know who Alan Shepard was. <laughs> Alan Shepard's quite a, quite a character. And uh, he was the first American to be shot in a space. He would have been the first human, but NASA was so slow to put him up in the up, up and uh, shoot him up into a in uh in one of the apollo um was he only one of the apollos i can't remember but uh in a rocket that uh he was so eager but the russians beat us to it and that was a big embarrassment a huge embarrassment and so uh they were rushing to get him on to get him uh up into the air uh, up into the space well apparently that first cockpit they put him in was just big enough for his body that's it in fact, he was a little bit shorter and he had to be shorter because, and he could not move. He could only move his hand like this. That's it. He couldn't move anything else. Well, as they put him on the launch pad, about three hours in, sitting there, three hours in, I have claustrophobia. I don't know how, he, they must evaluate these guys for that. You know, they're, they're still worried about some, so worried about something, right? Every detail, they're changing every detail. And he's getting frustrated. He's already missed the opportunity to historically be the first man ever into space. And now he can't even get off the ground and he's cramped for three solid hours and he can't move. And he says this famous line, all right, flight control, come on, let's light this candle. I love that expression because he's got probably 10,000 pounds of rocket fuel underneath his butt. And he says, let's light this candle. That's the first time it was ever said. Let's light this candle. And that's where you get the expression from. Um, I wonder, I, I, let's light this candle. I mean, let's, let's get serious. Let's ask Jesus to come into our lives and to come into our lives to, to give us a vision of, of what it means to be justified in his sight. Uh, let's light this candle. Let's have a vision of what, what it means for us to be putting into death because an evil to death in our hearts because we have a principle of life in us that is so aroused, so big and so huge and growing. Let's light this candle. Let's seek from him the presence of his glory in us and through us. And let's do it together. And let's, yes, let's put on the armor that is our righteousness, the righteousness of God by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your love. Um, I thank you for the armor that protects us. I pray, Father, for a greater understanding of what justification is to be declared righteous, faultless in your sight. <sighs> what it means to be sanctified, to be made ever more holy. What it means to be mortif to mortify, to put to death evil things in my flesh, our flesh. If only if we're taught by you, Holy Spirit, will we understand these things. Only if you, Lord, speak through these words, will they have any meaning. So I pray that, that the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. And on the night 
Christ was betrayed, he took bread and, and broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, uh, are you a good person? Are you a good person? The truth is, good people are not allowed at this table. Who is this table for? The bad persons who trust Jesus. This is a tool to, um, what is it? To illustrate your justification. <laughs> and it's a tool by which you grab a hold of your sanctification, right? He's making you ever more holy. It's a tool by which you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Body and blood of our Lord. Get this armor on you, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is armor, guys. This is armor. So I invite those, if you're a good person, there's some other churches you might want to go to, but this is not one of them. Um, and so uh, this is for bad people whose trust is in Jesus. Finally, if you're a skeptic and you listen to me, oh, let me get that napkin. Thank you. If you're a skeptic today, and you've been listening with a skeptic's eye, perhaps a cynic's eye, um, then I encourage you in your skepticism. Actually, what I'm going to encourage you is give up your skepticism, because it's not doing you any good. But, but if you want to continue in your skepticism for a while, and then I, I, want to, I want to encourage you with this, that I'm, I'm praying for you. And, and God can break through skepticism. But... Uh, get, uh, uh, listen, listen to what's happening, and I'm, I'm hoping that you will want what we have and will be aroused to envy our joy. All right? Um, I think I did I say everything I'm supposed to say. All right, let's stand. Um, let's proclaim to one another out loud, because I love to hear it, the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. All right. Tell me, Christian, brother, tell me, Adele, Peter, uh, all of you together, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.